creativity is just a lifestyle. So whether it's within parenting or in my own self-care or private time or practice or whatever it is, professional life, um, it's just, I think it's just a way that we live. But I, I really like to just find the potential or daydream about what something could be to maintain kind of a childlike um, approach to creativity. And I think that's, that's important for, for all artists and creatives is, is um, just clinging to some of that because when we're, when we're kids, like we don't have such a strong filter, you know, we're not such harsh critics of our own work. We just sort of do crazy things, you know, we, we don't have as many limitations. So um, maintaining some of that as an adult has, I think, served me well you know, creatively speaking. Welcome, welcome to Inspired Astrology with Lauren K. Hickman. It's me. I'm a little late this week just due to life happenings. And I think um, that's kind of the grace of a watery season, moving with the flow of things, regardless of how impactful they are. You know, it's Most of life is in our heads, right? (laughs) So Pisces season, I have invited an amazing guest on today, Bethany Argenbright of Des Moines, Iowa, who is currently very, very pregnant. And um, actually her due date is tomorrow. So I feel like this was such an amazing opportunity to interview a very pregnant Pisces creative And we had an opportunity to talk about being a young parent, being a divorcee that is still co-parenting, what creativity looks like, resourcefulness, children as creative projects, faith, putting yourself out there in the universe to receive the many blessings when we open ourselves up to potentials and possibilities. Um... And I, I feel like this was such a moving interview uh, for me to conduct because of Bethany's grace, her way of taking up space and allowing herself to be heard and to share her story in a very genuine and thoughtful manner. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And to have, um, you know, basically a message about being pregnant during the pandemic that we now have recorded uh, what that feels like, what hope feels like, what grief and loss feels like during this time. And I know that we're all kind of over the Panini, <laughs> the Panasonic, all of the, all the names that were, you know, I call it the pandemic, just trying to soften the blow that it's taken on my personal life. But it's, it's been for all of us. We've all had to make sacrifices and to go through that and to talk about, you know, service or sacrifice during Pisces season is a big piece of understanding to the energy makeup of Pisces itself. Uh, The jumping off point of letting go. What do we need to let go of to connect with the divine? What do we need to offer of of ourselves to feel like we're bonded as if we're part of something else? I think Pisces is so much about the bonding process. And for those of us with a Pisces moon or strong Pisces energy in our chart or even Neptune connections, uh, just, I mean, even Robert Hand says in his book on planets that 
Neptune and Pisces do have uh, quite the attuned frequency and vibration to them. But what is another octave of, of Neptune is Venus. And Venus is going to be exalted in Pisces for some time here coming up. Um, really, really exciting energy that we're moving into this month. So we're not like on a full or new moon cycle right now. We're kind of smack dab in between. Uh, so, you know, we'll just talk about some of the, the energy for the month. I mean, the greatest news, I think, uh, is that no planets are in retrograde for the month of March. And this is such a creative and juicy period. Um, and I think that creativity can really move in a lot of realms. And that means, you know, creativity in taking physical action, going out and getting out there for a run or getting out and moving or getting out in nature again after a couple months of frozen ice blocks, right? But there's also this sensuality that comes with Pisces and that, that desire to bond and Aries coming up here in a couple of weeks with the desire to breed and to get out and get into the world and to express and to become. And I, I, love, I love human sexuality. I am sad that there's so much shame around that stuff. And so, you know, I, I feel like I, I do want to make a service announcement, you know, considering we do have a pregnant guest, soon to be a new mother guest, right? Because she's due. To really consider what the creative process looks like for you, what sensuality looks like for you. You know, are you communicating with your partner? Are you talking about those things that you want? Are you talking to yourself about what you want? Are you willing to take some risks to reconnect with yourself or to regenerate or rejuvenate cords of disconnection from your physical pleasure, desire, sensual body that you're in? Um, I think it's really unfortunate that we've divorced ourselves so much from the, the biological creatures that we are and that that sex, sensuality, connection, desire, all of that is of service to developing relationships, not only with ourselves, but with other people, right? Um, renaming and reclaiming what sexuality means to you, um, you know, because there's so many different ways for that to express in this day and age. It doesn't even have to be physical touch. It can be emotional. You know, I, I love that word, uh, sapiosexual, you know, this idea that the things that turn us on are actually very mentally created and I'm just so pleased with with the the engagement I think with with this new generation coming up the one behind me and the one behind that just just really uplifting um, connections and consent and communication around these issues and I think that there's going to be a lot of shifts not only in you know gender identity and gender expression but in um, consent and sensuality uh, the way that relationships are going to look in 50 years are hopefully going to be divorced from the the stiff monogamous um, kind of shame-based or control-based dynamics that a lot of us are raised in you know this idea that uh, what family looks like has to be nuclear and I don't I don't think that's the case at all I think that we have an opportunity to really grow up and be mature about what relationships can look like. And a big part of that is just talking about it so that you're not creeping off into a corner and feeling shame about either, you know, the desire to to be with another partner or that you go out and do that without talking to your current one. There's there's a lot of nuance here and I I think that we'll step further into that in another day and another time. 
Pisces is about bonding. So I, I feel like this is such a great time to share feelings and to get in touch with yourself, right? Bond with self, bond with spirit, bond with other. All of it's the same. Just different faces. So Mars went into Gemini yesterday, the 3rd of March. And it's been in Taurus for some time. And I think that this is a great time to kind of flex those mental endeavors to kind of push in curiosity and get that fire burning again. You know, the fiery Mars and the air of Gemini combining to get creative forces moving and flowing again. So if you've been feeling a little stuck, uh, that's that's pretty common with Mars and Taurus. Uh, it, it could have been just more of a homebody time, a reconnecting with your space, your security, your belongings. So now time to get back out and uh, get those Zoom meetings uh, set up so that you can see your friends, that you can connect with people. I know we're all a little burnt out from it and soon the weather will be warmer and we can go sit outside and <laughs> at least make some, make some FaceTime outdoors once again. Today is Thursday the 4th and we have Mercury conjunct Jupiter right now. And uh, these being in Aquarius, I think that there's a lot about insight that comes with that energy, being able to see the bigger picture along with the details. Um, this is going to be a pretty passing quick transit because of, you know, Mercury's sort of zip zap movement, very quick, quick energy. Um, but, you know, to, to take today and maybe part of tomorrow to sort of get a Get a zoom out, get the bigger picture of what projects that you're working on. Uh, maybe have a look again at where Aquarius hits in your chart. Um, you can, you know, <laughs> book an appointment. We can talk about this specifically if you wanted to, but I mean, it's pretty, pretty easy to look up if you have uh, an engagement with, you know, visual or you can ask an astrologer friend or somebody who's kind of a novice to, to check that out and see where Aquarius is hitting up in your chart what type of um, movement, what kind of expansion is happening right now as far as thought process. Tomorrow, Friday the 5th, we have the sun squaring the nodes, the north and south node. Um, this on a, on a, a greater scale, um, you know, this is connecting with the Gemini and Sagittarius uh, energies with the north and south node stories of the collective. And with the sun squaring those, um, you know, I think it's a friction point about where our ego is getting in the way of our soul's direction as a collective and as a, as a personal. And for those of us who have Gemini and Sagittarius uh, natal in our chart uh, with the North and South node, uh, it's important to, to see where we can drop those blockages. What is preventing us? What is keeping us from letting go of those cords uh, from the past, our past identity, what we think that we are, who we name ourselves as and where we're going? Um, funny enough, I had, I had therapy this morning. Uh, it's been a big week for me and I, my therapist asked me like, who, who am I? And I started to name off all those things, these things that I am not. I named not what I think I am, but who I am not. And I think I, I personally, you know, struggle a lot with the, the lone wolf energy, those things that I've been coming up with for myself as I, as I deep dive and process my own journey and, um, you know, the ability to bond when you're trained to be independent, when you're trained to put your, you know, adult, adult pants on when you're very young and how you, you learn to just do things on your own. And it's hard to let people in. Um, so I, it's funny to try to name, name these things for myself. Like, who am I? Well, what am I not? 
And that's kind of the same idea of like letting go of belongings and tidying up your life is by knowing what you don't want to help you identify what you do want. Um, So I think that's kind of like a very mundane way of talking about this placement with the sun squaring the nodes. Coming up on the ninth, we have Venus square to the nodes. And so this is another iteration of this energy. I think that's really interesting to kind of like step into that space some more to ask ourselves what we value, what we value about ourselves, what we value about our past experiences and the things that have happened to us that are driving us further towards our, our end goal. Um, and that word goal is even problematic <laughs> because it's the idea that we're not on a journey, that, that we're on a ride. And I think that there's so much more to our experience and having that having goals, you know, that we should be where we are and accepting and loving of where we are. Otherwise we can't get to where we're going, right? If you don't accept where you're at, how are you supposed to grow, heal, move through anything else? On the 10th, next week, Wednesday, the 10th, we have the sun conjunct to Neptune. Talk about an ooey gooey season, everyone like Pisces and that connection, Neptune, um, you know, if you're new to astrology, when I'm, I'm using these terms, you know, Pisces is the culmination point in the zodiac, at least traditionally. I know that there are some astrologers, I'm going to meet up with them today, who claim that Pisces is not the end of the zodiac. But in traditional astrology, we think of it as re- relative to the 12th house, things that are hidden, things that are unseen, the house of service and suffering and martyrdom and, and giving of ourselves, almost pouring over into others. Um, there's a lack of boundaries because of this culmination point because Pisces really knows how to see things as interconnected and that's where the empathic gifts come from is that there's no if there's no boundaries then what is ours and what is another person's right but it's also important to develop boundaries my dear Pisces friends so that you know what is your stuff to work with in this lifetime and what is not your stuff to work with this lifetime um, it's. I think it's really a, a journey of, of any empath or any sensitive person that the way that you develop intuition is by practicing with those skills and not making it about dramatics and not making it about, oh my God, I feel everything. That means I have to shut myself off into a hole and I want to like crawl into a wall. I wish I was a monk. That's, that's really not the, the purpose. These gifts are to help us to see that we're all interconnected and we all have this, this story of oneness and unity that everything can be creative. So how do you step into owning that power and owning what is yours? What is your energy to work with? And starting to recognize what is outside of you so you can read a room so that you can show up and and intuitively know how to nourish other people. Neptune being this kind of stopping off point before the end, before death, rebirth, regeneration, and connection with the divine asks us what we need to let go of. And it moves so slowly that if you're having a current Pisces transit, if Neptune is activating um, your Pisces sun or your Pisces moon or your Pisces Venus or whatever planets that you have in Pisces or those degrees in Virgo, right, the opposition or squares to other mutable energy, you have to recognize what what is hitting you, what is being asked of you to let go of, to to create divine insight, to receive more information, to find more pliability, to find more movement, and to recognize where you've been delusional and where you're actually receiving conscious insight and clarity. 
I think that's the higher higher purpose with Neptune is to to take us out of the fog of this material world and bring us into the truth, true reality, real reality. We're we're all one or we're not. You can't have it both ways. We all wake up together. There is no them and me. It is we. It is always we. And this otherness that is being brought up to our attention day after day in the news and media, whether it's the left and the right, the Middle East and the West, the East and the West. I mean, it's all it's all about uh, these polarities and this binary that that's being broken down. I think Neptune activations really support that process of breaking down those walls and those barriers so that we can see things as they are rather than as they've been painted to be. The new moon falls on the 13th and Venus is going to be conjunct uh, Neptune at that time. And, you know, my, my thoughts on the energy of this week is, you know, we have some focused writing time with Mercury and Jupiter in Aquarius right now. So if you got some writing to do this weekend, do it, get it done, get some vision boards down. Um, looks like we have the moon in Capricorn. It's going to be out of bounds early next week, 7th, 8th, and 9th. Um, so just be patient. No need to to get involved with too much. It might be a little bit of a heavy energy. Moon and Capricorn can be a little bit depressive. So just be patient with yourself. No need to to get get huffy-puffy or worried that something needs to get done. You can just be patient and sit and be with yourself. That seems very like blanket statement information as far as Moon and Capricorn out of bounds. But um, I just, I want to say this too shall pass whatever you're feeling, whatever's going on. Um, I know I'm having a lot of heaviness myself and you just show up, you put your shoes on, you get dressed, you keep moving, or you go and lay in bed or take a bath, do the thing, whatever nourishes you. I had two chocolate croissants this week. Like I never do that. It's been one. It's been a hard one. Uh, Okay, so with that Venus and Neptune conjunction and Pisces, I would say that the 14th through, let's say, 17th, 18th of this month, you know, mid-month, it's a great time for female devotion and prayer, really focusing on divine love, uh, the divine feminine um, that presents in all of us. So doing some journaling on nurturance and um, what beauty means to you what value is, what your what your way of connecting with spirit is, what that ritual looks like. I think all of these would be really beneficial practices. And if you have a, you know, devotional practices towards deities like Master Mother Mary, Black Madonna, uh, Tara, uh, I mean there's there's a lot of, of different feminine deities that you can you can, you know, maybe connecting with that energy. Um, yeah. I love it. So that's your that's your kind of report for mid-month uh, to get through the beginning of March. Of course, there's always more astrology happening. And again, the new moon on the 13th, it's going to be all Pisces all the time. A lot of Pisces energy right now. Um, so boundary work, that's a, a homework assignment for all of us. Uh, tapping in, contemplation, staring out the window, finding some creative inspiration uh, by doing nothing. You know, just allowing yourself to be, making some time and carving out space for that. A lot of healing potential with Pisces energy. 
so I hope that you are taking really, really good and sacred care of your blessed self because you matter. Your journey matters. You're beautiful and important and deserve love by virtue of being. The Kind Oasis brand was created with the belief that premium organic CBD should be affordable and accessible to those who need it most. As someone who has used hemp-derived CBD to support my own wellness, I have to say I really like this product. Their tincture is simple, a full-spectrum CBD and fractionated coconut oil. That's it. They also have potent homemade gummies that are a delight, and the CBD is available in capsules or in a topical balm. Go to kindoasis.com and use offer code Inspired Astrology to get 20% off your order. As a parent, like figuring out ways to kind of bring your children into that space with you. I, yeah, it feels like, I mean, it feels like it could be any day. It's, it's weird. It's like you're training for a marathon and you have no idea when it's going to happen. <laughs> so it's like you do all these things to prepare, but ultimately it's this like very suspenseful <laughs> mix of excitement and dread at the same time because you know what you're about to undertake. So yeah. that's incredible. I mean, what a journey to go through considering that just, you know, January of last year, you had this, you know, big medical incident. And then just a few months after that, you know, you found out you're pregnant. (laughs) It's interesting. I mean, just the balance, I guess, in the universe (laughs) and in life, but drove, I didn't know what had happened, but I drove myself down to urgent care and was just in a lot of pain and ultimately um, had to have emergency surgery and a, a blood transfusion and all this stuff. And um, there was just some, you know, just a sense of loss there. Um, I had an ovary removed and a, my fallopian tube and um, and just a little bit of a fear like, oh, will this impact my ability to have kids in the future? And um, sure enough, I don't know, five months later or so, <laughs> we've we found out that it had not impacted my ability to have children. So <laughs> we were excited. I remember coming to visit you when you were in sort of a, uh, I, I would say a, not quite a lucid state, you know, because <laughs> of the, I mean, the pain was pretty, uh, pretty serious while you were going through the recovery process. And it was all such a big shock, you know, because what an unexpected health issue to have. It's like, oh, my stomach doesn't feel good. Like, did my appendix burst? No, a cyst blew up. Right. (laughs) My ovary exploded. And I, and I remember chatting with you, you know, and you were in such a beautiful, sincere state as you were madly embroidering, you know, just to (laughs) kind of distract yourself from the discomfort. And we spoke specifically about, you know, the, the concerns about being creative and being a parent, um, because here you are with two, two young girls, you know, in uh, their early teen years. Yeah, Piper and Quinn, Piper's 13, and Quinn is 11. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a really interesting thing to try to balance like your own need for creative expression and um, and often I think that's like a really personal thing and, and something that 
you know, as an artist or creative, you kind of hold that space and that time for yourself really close to yourself, you know, like it's really um, important to kind of preserve time in your day and, and in your brain to have that outlet. So, or, you know, exemplify a creative life style. Um, it's really important, but it's, it's just a process, I think, to learn to share that time, you know, with, with my kids, I don't know, versus just having it be just that, that private time. I don't know if that makes sense. But. Oh, it totally does. I mean, I think there is time for like laboratory creativity where you do need to be alone, but creation is such a, a spontaneous process. You know, it's like the, right. the, the insight and the action of that. But I, I really feel that sexual energy is procreative energy, is creative energy, is spiritual energy. I've always seen them as different kind of vibrational tones of mm. the same expression. And I like, I know you and think of you as a very like spiritual service oriented and totally creative human being. And I, I love that we finally got connected and it, and it stinks because it's like two years later, I move away, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like you're, you're such a part of my, um, my web and you've been there for me to, to style for two photo shoots. And like, I love, love working with you and seeing you like on a set in a setting, I just love to hear about like where this all started for you when you recognize the creativity, if there, if there was like a culmination point and what day-to-day life looks like for you to express creation with your kids and now with uh, this new one coming along. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've always been a creative person when I was a kid. I really, you know, like art was my favorite subject in school and just, so that was, that was that's always kind of been a part of my life actually until I graduated from high school and I at a pretty young age became a parent so there was a a time of several years where I didn't really have much of a creative outlet I guess and I I didn't take any classes and and really didn't pursue that in any kind of professional way or whatever um, but I will say, even even as a young parent, I infused creativity just in how I raise my kids. But again, doing it for my own person, like pursuing my own sense of artistry or creativity kind of took a back burner when my kids were, when my oldest two were were very young. And then I would say like my first kind of, well, as far as styling goes, I actually, I kind of lucked out. Um, I had a friend that had a gig with our local newspaper magazine and there was one story that she couldn't fulfill and she asked if I could do it and they took me on as a freelancer even though I had actually not I had no experience in like published styling <laughs> so um but I I did a really good job on my first assignment and then became kind of a regular uh, fixture in that local paper and that was a really cool opportunity because it just felt like I don't know it, I just really felt like I was in my element and I wasn't making any real money from doing it but I was willing to do it because I loved it and I knew that it could lead to you know more opportunities and then like kind of my first big girl job was at the social club and that 
that was an organization in our city that really worked to support local artists. So I became really focused on other artists in our community. And, and that was kind of the mission of that organization, building people up and providing opportunities for people to experience music and, and visual art and theater and all of the above. So again, I think my own kind of creative pursuits took a back burner at that time. I was still kind of working in this super creative environment. And, and now, I mean, I look back on that time and my kids were in like early elementary school. And I'm just really thankful that we got the opportunity to be a part of that arts organization at um, such a kind of developmental stage in their lives. Cause they, you know, like any nonprofit, you, you work a lot of hours and um, especially in kind of events and, and art, the art world, a lot of like wacky off hours too. So my kids mm -hmm. spent a lot of time um, in that venue and in that place surrounded by really creative people. And I really am just thankful that we had that experience and that they did at such a young age. Cause I think it just seeing, seeing people express themselves in so many unique ways, it was just a really cool, like education for them. Cool exposure. Did you grow up in Des Moines as well? Um, kind of before that we lived sort of all over. My parents are both from the South and then, and my dad is actually, was actually a minister. So we moved to a church. He took a job at a church in Canada when I was young. So I, a lot of my upbringing was in Canada. And then we came back to the States and, and found ourselves in Iowa. So I consider myself an Iowan, <laughs> but kind of a mutt also. <laughs> Canada is pretty close to Iowa, right? Yeah, it's no, not at, least, at least in uh, culture. But yeah, no, I, I just think about being you know, I'm, I'm trying to imagine you, Bethany, is like a 14-year-old in Des Moines, Iowa. And I I grew up there. And I remember the first artist that I met was when I was 14. And there were experiences in early childhood where I felt like I knew that there were artists or musicians in Des Moines. You know, just going to farmer's markets and seeing chalk artists downtown and jugglers and buskers and the way that the, that Des Moines was in the early 90s. And then there was sort of this brain drain period. I feel like that, that it's, it felt like all the artistic people just left mm. and I didn't know about the Fitch building and there was no social club and um, there wasn't really any safe place for, for me to go as, you know, except for the Des Moines art center mm. as a teenager to go take, you know, ceramics classes or photography or what have you. I just want to know what early, early art artistic, uh, pursuits look like for you? Like, did you rearrange your room all the time? Or was it about clothing or sewing? I am fortunate to have been raised by two pretty creative people. So my, I remember like my dad taking me to see Yo-Yo Ma when I was maybe in like fourth grade. Um, and he listened to a lot of public radio at that time. So I remember just music was kind of a big early exposure and and he would bring home cool art books from the library um so I some of that was instilled in me as a child and my mom she used to make all our clothes and was very a little more on like the Martha Stewart side but like still very creative very talented someone who you know she did a lot with her hands so that was kind of, I remember like my mom teaching me to cross stitch actually those are some of my fondest early memories is like she would 
set up just a really simple cross stitch that pattern for me and I would do that with her or she would draw like make these really simple drawings for me to color in and and then as I, I as I got older I had a huge interest in fashion and I think part of that stems from um, we were always kind of on a tight budget so I pretty much only wore hand-me-downs or homemade clothing so in order to kind of distance myself from my older sister I would try to kind of remix my own, you know, outfits from the hand-me-downs that I received from her or, or other families in our church that took pity on us. So I think, mm. uh, you know, fashion was kind of, and actually even from a very young age, one time my parents left town and my Nana came to stay with us and she was a real like sassy lady. And as far as clothing goes, my parents were actually pretty conservative. So they were gone and she my nana was taking us to the mall and she let me pick out whatever i wanted to wear so i wore like a huge oversized t-shirt of my dad's and tied a belt on with tights and then my sunday shoes which were we were only allowed to wear those to church and i wore this look kind of like a little you know five-year-old madonna look to the mall <laughs> i will never forget it like it was, it was like free, having, you know, complete freedom over myself and my own, you know, sense of style. So, I mean, your parents sound amazing and creative and supportive, but, you know, with your father being a minister and you living in churches, I'm sure, like, did you live in church parishes or what did that look like um, for you as a kid? Yeah, we did not ever live in a parish. However, there is a very kind of under the microscope feeling when you're the pastor's kid and yeah there was a lot uh the you know there we were just part of a very conservative community and so as much as like we did have a great exposure to classical music and oldies um that we were not allowed to listen to a lot of modern secular music if any at all and you know there was a there's a fair amount of we just there was a lot we were not allowed to to see or to consume um, as far as television and pop culture. Yeah, there there was a lot of, um, I remember like hiding CDs from my parents and <laughs> stuff like that. Wait, tell me which CD that you hid from Oh my gosh, parents. well, uh, one, uh, one story, I received a Fiona Apple, um, I think it was her first album, like title, title? Anyway, Fiona Apple CD for my birthday I think it was in fifth grade and my parents threw it away. <laughs> that was one, one heartbreak. And then I went through like a, you know, hip hop rap phase in eighth and ninth grade. And there was a ton of music that would just mysteriously go missing from my room. <laughs> so yeah, I, Painful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know what though, like now as a parent, I have a lot more grace, like for, for my parents' own, style you know they were doing what they thought was best and you know after I was the third of four kids so once my little sister came around they had loosened up a lot and we used to just like shake our heads like we would have never been able to listen to this music you know or watch the show when we were her age but they just gave up yeah. they're like we're done we're done parenting yeah. <laughs> and I think I'm you kidding. just start to realize we can't control everything that our kids consume and I don't know to loosen the reins a little bit. So we're all, we're all allowed to learn and grow and evolve as, as people and especially as parents. So, 
you know, I, if anything, it forced, it probably forced some more creativity out of me being so restricted in certain ways, you know, we ne you never had cable or weren't allowed to, you know, we weren't allowed to watch MTV, stuff like that. Um, but it's not good anymore. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were married fairly young and started having kids pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's kind of an interesting, it's taken a lot of therapy to understand like, <laughs> how did that all happen? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I did. I, I really sort of ascribed to the traditional expectations, you know, of the church at that time that I was a part of. It was kind of like what you did, like the, a lot of people I knew at that time got married young and started families young. Looking back, you know, I, I do kind of, I did kind of have to process like what took me from being this sort of, I was kind of a wild kid in high school. And so I, I don't know if it was me trying to make amends or, or, but I did, I, I got married very young and, and had children. And I found myself sort of in this life that I didn't, you know, I kind of woke up one day and was like, this doesn't actually match up with who I really am, you know, on the inside. And I ended up getting divorced and, and which is something I never in a million years thought I would go through. I don't know. You start to make decisions that kind of steer you away from, from who you know yourself to be. And in hindsight, I'm thankful that I, you know, kind of had a wake up call like this. I maybe am not on the course of the life that I could be living you know so tell me tell me what that looked like Bethany because I think I think so many of us we we sell out a little bit because we think that there's a prescribed version of the way life should mm -hmm. be and I, I think on a mass scale we're understanding that that's just not the case and that there are so many different ways to express yourself in this world so what, when did you just know, when did you know that you felt like you'd lost yourself? Um, my first husband joined the military and I was, so after we married and we had one child and a second child on the way, that was around like 2008, maybe like during the recession. So he joined the military. I found myself essentially single parenting two very young children and I was still <laughs> pretty young myself but it it forced me into a lot of independence and I was you know alone a lot um so I think I think there were some times while he was deployed and um in basic training and different different times that we were apart where I felt well, I was challenged in ways I'd never been before, but I also recognized how much power I held within myself and what I was capable of. Whereas I think, you know, this, my traditional understanding of family and of women's roles um, in the family, I had been pretty dependent on him and, you know, other people up until that point. So um, seeing that I was a capable person and I, I really could do a lot more than I thought that was really eye opening. And I remember actually maybe a month or so before he was supposed to come home from a year long deployment, 
I realized that I was sort of dreading it because I had really gotten used to this independence and uh, we could talk about military service and family, you know, that whole dynamic in, a, in another episode. <laughs> but yeah, it's really hard for families. It's, um, it's not ideal. And there are a lot of young people that get involved in the military service and get married really young and have a bunch of kids. And it's a, it's a very common story and the divorce rate and um, suicide rates and all of the, the statistics coming out of our military families are really heartbreaking and, and I'm one of them, but <laughs> it definitely exposes, I should say any weak points in your relationship when you were separated for that much time. And um, yeah, it, it was really tough and yet also very eye opening for me. So that, that was kind of a big time of change and growth, but ultimately kind of led to me leaving that relationship and our marriage ended in divorce. And we, I think are pretty, pretty good co-parents, <laughs> I would say, you know, I divorce, we, we have a lot more information <laughs> in today's world on how to, to handle those transitions better and how to care for our children and ourselves throughout that type of trauma. So, you know, we definitely did not do everything perfect. I did not handle <laughs> as with any, you know, change in a relationship. It doesn't, it's not easy, but I would say today, you know, I think our kids are pretty healthy and our relationship is, is pretty good. You know, every, every divorce, every marriage, every relationship is unique and there are circumstances that people go through that impact their ability, you know, to co-parent and, but yeah, I will say it is, you have no idea how difficult being a, like when you're in a, a difficult time in a relationship, sometimes separation or divorce seems like it's the only option. Like this can't, this is the only way to find relief, you know, from this pain that we're in right now. But you don't really understand that being a divorced, being divorced parents, it brings along a whole, like a whole slew of other types of pain. <laughs> so, you know, we have changed a lot being apart. And I think trying to find common ground or when you introduce new people into your children's lives, like all of that, it, you know, while we, I think have handled it pretty well, there's still things that sting, you know, there are little moments that happen or things that will take place that you constantly have to weigh your options, you know, like, is this worth bringing up? Is this about me? Is this about my child? Is this about my ex-partner? Like there, there are endless battles to pick or not <laughs> when you're co-parenting. And so I don't know. I, I don't know that I would have done anything differently had I had more information about what the future would hold. But 
it is something really to consider when when you're going through a trial in your relationship, particularly if you share children with someone that your lives are entwined, you know, for forever. <laughs> so we I think we choose the path of peace more often than not. And if you're if you're able to do that, I think it's you know, it's well worth it for your own sanity and, and for your children. But, you know, that's the the most important thing, I think, for them to see you continue to respect one another and I don't know, and, and treat this other person that's so important to your kid uh, with love and generosity and grace and and even in uh, even in our kind of custody or, or the time that we share with our kids, we have tried to always opt for understanding and, and flexibility because, you know, it's it's important for them to have a healthy and positive relationship with their dad as much as it is with me. So I try to respect that. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> it's, it's not an easy path, but, you, you know, it's it's doable. I think that's that's great reflection on that. Um, thank you for going down that road with me. I know it's a bit vulnerable, but I, I do, you know, I do want to know what kind of transformation occurred after the initial shock and, you know, the changes that happened. You know, you you uncouple, you get divorced, you figure out what to do with the kids. And then then what? Right. You know, where where did the you mentioned like getting getting the gig styling, but um, yeah. You know, maybe maybe explain what that is and like how the behind the scenes kind of stuff works for you that maybe you don't want to be in front of the camera. But and that and that makes me think of when you were a kid, like under the microscope of being the pastor's daughter and in adulthood, like, does that affect your ability to be on stage when it's time for that? That's an interesting point. I (laughs) I hadn't hadn't looped that together. But yeah, I'm sure there is something to that. Um, Definitely. it forced me to uh, find a full-time job <laughs> and, um, and actually get my, I had never really lived alone before. So I, I got an apartment and um, that's around when I started working for the Des Moines Social Club. And it was a lot of juggling. It was, you know, and, and there are times I look back and I'm like, gosh, I wish I would have done this or that differently. Um, you know, I remember it was, it was a high, highly stressful time, um, all that out, um, you know, trying to kind of deal with the grief of this lost relationship. Um, and I don't know that I gave that enough time. Um, years later, I spent a ton of time in therapy, kind of unpacking all of that and, and really dealing with, um, my led up to it and the aftermath and all of that. Um, so I didn't deal with it at, at the time, but that stuff doesn't go away. You know, you, you, it just keeps knocking until you, until you address it. So um, I think, let's see, as far as like finding myself in a creative role um, professionally, I have always been a pretty social person and um, actually having a conversation with someone um he was a musician in town and um, really involved with um, community. And we ran into each other and had this like really great conversation about like pursuing, you know, a job just to like have a paycheck 
versus trying to pursue, you know, your artistic calling. And I remember just really connecting with him. And at that time, that's what I was struggling with. You know, I was, I needed to pay bills and I had rent and I was, um, you know, pretty newly single or whatever, single parenting and, um, you know, I, I was really enjoying freelancing as a stylist, but it wasn't enough or consistent enough um, to make me feel really secure. <laughs> so um, long story short, we I run into this guy, we have this great conversation. And I f- closed the conversation by saying, hey, if you hear of anything, um, I'm looking for jobs. So um, send people whatever. And the very next day, um, said, Hey, the social club, we just decided we needed to hire, um, and because we're going to do rentals. And, um, so 24 hours after I had run into this guy and kind of expressed my desire to have a creative position that sort of met not only my financial needs and, you know, health insurance and that sort of thing, but also was a creative outlet. Um, here, this, this job came up and, um, I had an interview and got the job and, Um, but that, it was a really cool, it was a really cool experience of just kind of putting something out there, um, putting myself out there (laughs) and, and having that pay off. Um, I don't know if this is a, a thing with growing up in the church or being a woman or what it is, but there, maybe it's Midwest, (laughs) but there's a sense of humility. Like we, we don't often ask for what we really want or, or even tell people what we want and what we need. Um, and I certainly wasn't really good at that at the time, but you know, one conversation changed at that time, the course of my life. So, um, working in this arts organization, um, it opened finding ways to tap into my own creativity. Um, you know, I had sort of let, let slide. So Renaissance for you that you, you named what it was that you needed and what you wanted. And you opened yourself up to having a very vulnerable conversation with someone and everything changed. I think that's such a testament to just being open to the possibility and having faith, having faith, Mm -hmm. things are going to work. Yeah. And that, again, that was really new to me being thrown into mother, not thrown in, but like entering motherhood at such a formative age, like when a lot of people are in college and experimenting and just, you know, taking a lot of risk with not a lot of consequence, (laughs) you know, you're able to explore and try to figure out who you are. Like I was raising two young children. Um, So a lot of I don't know, a lot of that, like self-care, like I didn't even really know how to do that. (laughs) So um, it's essential to you being able, you know, like to take risks, but to have security mm -hmm. for you and your kiddos. Gosh, like, I don't want to use the word limiting, but certainly it's like, when do I get a chance to grow up? You're doing it while on the fly, while raising other children. Yeah, and that, you know, that's just how my life went. And I look back now and I feel like I learned a lot and, um, for that experience, um, 
used to spend a lot of time thinking like, what if, or, you know, what if things had been different, but um, coming to a place of acceptance and, and really grat, you know, gratitude for what that taught me at a young age, um, healthy, you know, and not um, thinking too much on, on what perhaps I missed out on, but it, it was a process to not compare myself to my peers. Um, and now again, entering kind of new motherhood for the second time, I feel really grateful for having had this experience before and, um, and now kind of in a new place in life, being able to incorporate like all these things I've learned <laughs> over the past 15 years. Um, I, I just feel like I am in a different place in life and, and kind of a more well-informed mother. So I, that it just, it just feels really good to know that like we can keep growing and we can keep being creative and we can still honor our inner child and our inner teenager and our inner 22 year old at any phase in our life. Um, I mean, I can't imagine like you, you were pregnant, like 22 and 24 years old. Right. And now you're going to be 36 this month, pregnant and experiencing motherhood all over again in this different phase. I mean, it's like another yeah. lifetime away. <laughs> yes. It's, um, it's been really, it's been such an interesting experience physically so different to, to just be a little older <laughs> than I was then. Um, the appreciation I have for my body, um, that's been a really fascinating journey. <laughs> and um, parenting with so much less anxiety and, and question and fear, um, feel you know, confident. And I feel really lucky to, you know, have had the opportunity to go through therapy and, and do a lot of self-reflection um, during this phase of life because, you know, entering parenthood in my early twenties, um, I hadn't done a lot. I, you know, I really didn't know who I was and um, what I wanted and I didn't know what my choices were, um, you know, naive at the time. So I feel thankful that here again, I'm, I'm entering this place and, um, but I know, I really know what I'm getting myself into. And um, through the years, like, you know, even before we met um, and then getting acquainted with you and how down to earth that you are truly that, I mean, you, you are sort of this ethereal mermaid of a being because you're, you're just, you flit about, you connect with people, you're resourceful. Hey, you need that? <laughs> I got it at home. It's in my basement. There's a giant teddy bear, which is like the most terrifying, largest teddy bear I've ever seen in my life. You know, so you're, you're willing to support people on their creative endeavors, to support them in their journeys, to be of service to events like, you know, Drag King and anything that Jen Carruthers gets involved with. The sort of, um, the, you always, you're always bubbling with ideas. You know, when I talk to you, it's never about like, oh, I'm going through this like really weird time. It's like, oh, I have this idea about doing this new thing. And, and to, you know, to hear you, um, so at peace, I think with this, this circumstance, because, you know, motherhood is ultimately the, it's one of the most creative acts that humans are capable of, um, from my understanding, like <laughs> being a human with a vagina and a uterus, like, um, 
I don't know if there was a challenge to you, if there was like heart palpitations or like, oh man, I'm never going to get that job done. I, I feel like, do you, do you have the understanding of patience that even if you have to put off massive creative projects for seven years or four years, do you think that there's space for um, yourself for that? Yeah, now? I definitely had about a week after we found out that we were expecting this child um, where I was like, oh my God, what have we done? <laughs> like, our, You know, we're reaching this different phase of life, having young kind of teenagers, early pre-teens or whatever, um, to, to then go back into this phase where we're changing diapers and your life kind of revolves around sleep schedules and all that, all that stuff. Um, I definitely allowed myself a little time to kind of open up to that and, and grieve maybe a little bit of loss of freedom. And um, also, I guess, have kind of more of an understanding of like, when you bring children into the mix, um, there's a lot of creativity and beauty that it, it brings out in you in and of itself um kind of this sense of service and and kind of just being involved in the creative community i do think a lot of that um growing up when i was a kid was pretty service oriented and i think <clears throat> church does really well is forming a sense of community and and acts of service um so i love the idea of still even though I'm, I'm not part of the church anymore, um, playing the sense of service and, and community and my kids has been really important to me and, um, being able to do that in a, you know, a cre creative way. Um, being, you know, creativity is just a lifestyle. So whether it's within parenting or in my own self-care or private time or practice or whatever it is, professional life, um, live you know in in at least in our home just trying to find ways to enjoy creative endeavors whether it's in how we dress or um or where we go <laughs> how we spend our time um filled with art i mean the walls are filled with art and you you know do these drawings and you have embroidery stitchings around and um, you have like, I don't know, even your yard feels. <laughs> well, I think, so me. I do think part of that is just this sense of like having to be resourceful. So, um, I don't always have the budget to, to buy new clothes or I don't always have the budget to, um, the art supplies that I wish that we could, you know, have around the house to work with. Um, I do, I'm, I can be a bit of a hoarder, <laughs> so I have to watch myself, um, in that respect, but I, I tend to really see like the beauty and the potential in so many things. So I think, um, really a part of what makes me creative, um, I really making something out of nothing. So, um, whether it's, uh, have kind of made this play structure out of, um, a lot of sticks and random things, <laughs> random objects, um, like to just find the potential or daydream about what something could be um applies to clothing and um all sorts of uh, this creative potential in almost every object around you what, i mean did that happen as a kid like when did you realize yeah, that I think was part some of, of it magic? again is just when we were kids we didn't you know my family didn't have a lot of money um so we just were forced to use our imagination or um, 
yeah, I think we just, we spent a lot of time outside and we didn't have a ton of, you know, as far as toys and, and that sort of thing. So we were pretty creative, I think, in our play as kids, my siblings and I, um, things. I try not to just see them for what they are at face value. So um, I got this basket in my closet and it's rusty and old, but it's been at different times, you know, it's held mag, it's been a magazine holder or um, a laundry basket. Like it's, it's taken on so many different lives just in our home in the time that we've had this old thing. And that's kind of how I approach most objects, I guess. So, um, especially when it comes to styling, um, it's kind of like that visualization that you can, that you can see things potential in, in so right. many different ways. It's, it's, play. yeah. And I, I think that it's in play for you. been able, I think, to maintain kind of a childlike, um, to creativity. And I think that's, that's important for, for all artists and creatives is, is, um, just that because when we're when we're kids, like we don't have such a strong filter, you know, we're not such harsh critics of our own work. We just sort of do crazy things, you know. We we don't have as many limitations, so um, maintaining that as an adult has, I think, served me well, you know, creatively speaking. So, I mean, do you have anything to say to your unborn child, or like anything that you want to have recorded that? You know, this is, you, you've been pregnant during a pandemic. Um, you're, you know. I just keep, the thing that's been so fascinating about being pregnant during this pandemic um, year has been, like you said, just full of so many losses. And so um, I'm getting, I'm going to cry. I'm going to try not to cry, but we, we have all made so many sacrifices and um, babies that have been born in this time of, you know, we're, we're facing this massive health crisis. And yet the fact that life is continuing to grow and um, be is just a sign of health and, and life. And that is personal to me. It's a sign of health and growth in my own life. Um, but it's also just so incredible that we have been able to, um, you know, create this beautiful thing in a, in such a dark and kind of scary time. Um, it, it gives me a sense of hope and was that like, no matter how hard and heartbreaking and, and, um, dark the world can seem, um, news and, and, and beauty is, is still occurring all around us. And, um, the universe is is growing and changing and evolving and um is a sign of that um so it's it's it feels just like this little miracle you know i've um i I feel really it's cheesy but i do i feel blessed to have gone through this experience um at this particular time so just that we didn't feel so uncomfortable with with things that are sacred, you know, that we call it, you know, cheesy or corny, um, where it is something so human, um, of, of life itself that it just keeps, keeps going. It keeps moving. Um, that was very, very stirring to my soul. 
and I really appreciate you feeling open to share uh, something so so personal. And you're like a week and a half out from your due date, and really do I feel like I don't know, just honored to kind of be this vessel and for for life. It's it's an incredible uh, miraculous thing that we do. So um, be a female. <laughs> so Dr. Eddie Moore Jr., tell me, this is the 22nd year of the White Privilege Conference. How does that feel? Oh, it feels amazing. Uh, it's an unusual year because this will be our first uh, virtual conference. But to know that we've been going 22 years, it feels pretty amazing. Tell me more about the conference's history and what it looks like now. Yeah, I mean, the real catalyst of the conference is advanced diversity work. I felt like in the early parts of my career, there wasn't really a a, a kind of um, CrossFit diversity, a rigorous kind of diversity setting to push us beyond diversity and inclusion. And so that was really the catalyst of creating the White Privilege Conference, particularly for educators, is to provide a space once you go beyond diversity 101, 201, you need to keep growing. You need to keep being pushed and challenged. And that was really the goal. And now, you know, today the conference is really expanded and not only in its attendance of educators, but also people from all kinds of uh, sectors of the community. And in addition to that, we really make a concentrated effort to look at privilege comprehensively. So we're not just looking at white privilege, even though it's called the White Privilege Conference. We argue everybody's got privilege. We're just affected by it in very different ways. And so today we really work hard to have comprehensive voices examining white supremacy, white privilege, and all forms of oppression. Well, one of the things I'd like to mention about the conference that's really important is it's not a conference just for white people. Sometimes people are confused by the title or they think it's a conference for white supremacists. And it's not that either. This is a conference designed to challenge all of us around the issues of white supremacy, white privilege, and other forms of oppression. We argue everybody's got privilege. We're just impacted by it in very different ways. And now what's happening is every year, the conference is different. We have a different theme. We have different speakers. I mean, we have some of the sp same speakers that come every year, but because of the diversity of privilege and intersectionality that's uh, cemented in the curriculum, uh, we have a diverse group of people always presenting about privilege in a variety of ways. This year, I'm really excited because our theme is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but from a woman's perspective. And so we have an all women's lineup in reference to our keynotes, uh, Dr. Fatima uh, Stanford, uh, Dr. Robin D'Angelo, uh, Dr. Uh, Joy DeGruy, and uh, Linda Sarsour. And so we have a phenomenal lineup and we're really excited about this year's uh, 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 gathering. This is our first virtual white privilege conference, and it's going to be April uh, 7 through 10. April 7th is our all-day institutes for people who want to just come for 
a few hours of learning, like four to six hours, and can't make the whole conference. I'm sorry, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, everybody can come for the whole conference. I know as a student how much this impacted the way that I viewed the world. And I worked for you for three years of the conference while I was in, at Central and Pella. And um, it's really made a long and lasting impact. I'm so glad that this is still happening. I'm glad that it's gone virtual to an extent because more people will have access to these wonderful teachers and speakers and um, the community that kind of comes around the energy of this work. So thank you so much for holding space for all these people. The uh, registration fees, we try to stagger and make sure everybody has access. Our motto is um, uh, uh, we never want money to stop people from attending. So we work with people no matter what their financial situation. Uh, but again, as uh, I mentioned, we have, yeah, corporate, we have education, we have uh, nonprofit folks, we have community folks, we have parents, we have students, we have teachers. I mean, it is a great gathering of diverse folks. And um, I mean, you're a great testimony because uh, a lot of times I wonder, is this conference really having a positive impact? Does it really work? And so as the planner, uh, just like any teacher, educator, parent, you never know if your lesson is working. So I just want to say thank you to you for, I mean, just coming full circle. Here we are, you being a part of the conference early in your early years. And um, now here you are interviewing me for some of the work you're doing. Really to talk to your audience about the conference. And it just means a lot. So I want to say to you, I'm proud of you, sister. And I'm looking forward to continuing to inspire more good trouble over the next 25 years. Eddie, so good to hear your voice and thank you uh, for your time today. And we'll look for you online at the Privilege Institute or you can Google White Privilege Conference, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And um, yeah, they can uh, find all the information they need about uh, the registration, which uh, is open now, I should say. The registration is open now. And so all the information about the speakers, about the workshops, you can find on both those websites. All right. Well, thank you for your time today and good luck with all the preparations before the conference. I appreciate you. Peace. <laughs>And that's it for this week's episode of Inspired Astrology with Lauren K. Hickman. Uh, that was Bethany Argenbright that you heard. And if you want to send her a little bit of baby love and appreciate uh, her gifts from this episode, you can Venmo her at B. Argenbright. It looks like Bargain Bright, and I'll put that in the uh, episode notes. Uh, that last voice that you heard there was Dr. Eddie Moore Jr. Wanted to uh, plug the White, Pri uh, the White Privilege Conference, which is coming up in April. And uh, he's just a masterful, amazing, wonderful educator. And uh, I feel like it's really important to get the word out about doing anti-racist work, which is what the world needs right now for us to kind of work through these, these boundaries, these borders, um, which is what's more Pisces than that, right? If you want to find me, you can look me up at laurenkhickman.com. Also, energyinterpreter.com. Same, same, same. And uh, you can look for me on Instagram for insights and inspiration on a regular basis. 
Uh, if you feel like tipping me for all this love work that I do, uh, my Venmo is Lauren K. Hickman. I can reach out. Uh, you can send me voicemails to this or, you know, let me know what you want to hear, what what questions that you might have, or if you have somebody that you would like me to talk to, that's a, that's a possibility. Uh, so we come up, uh, coming up, we have Ash Gravity, uh, an astrologer from Western Iowa. Cannot wait to talk to them and uh, more more to come, more astrology to come, more insights, more conversations to tantalize you, to entertain you, to help you feel more connected in a time of disconnect. So until next time, stay inspired. Kin is a modern mystical shop located in the heart of Des Moines, Iowa's East Village. Femme-centric at its core, Kin is a woman-owned and operated business. The shop is filled with specialty products from women-owned businesses across the country. Candles, body care, the shop's Venusian energy comes in as soon as you step into the door, whether it's online or in person. Ethically sourced crystals, Palo Santo and Sage are just some of the highlights, along with an exquisite collection of vintage jewelry. Shop online at kindsm.com and let them know that Lauren sent you.